Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. So today we're going to share for singles and we're going to share for married people, both, right? Um, oh yeah, you want to just, you, why don't you do that? Okay. Yay. Okay. Um, so, so this is the second service, so we're going to do this one better. We forgot last service, so here yeah, we go. This one, the first service didn't get this. So I just thought you'd like to know, um, you don't want to fall in the pitfall of comparing yourself to others. It's, uh, that could be very frustrating. But here, a woman um, had a humorous take on this. She thought that if she had an opportunity in another life um, to choose, she'd be a bear. She said, because if you're a bear, you get to hibernate. You do nothing but sleep for six months. I could deal with that. Before you hibernate, you're supposed to eat yourself stupid. I could deal with that. (laughs) If you're a bear, you birth your children, who are the size of walnuts, while you are sleeping and wake to partially grown, cute, cuddly cubs. I could definitely deal with that. (laughs) If you're a mama bear, everyone knows you mean business. You swat anyone who bothers your cubs. If your cubs get out of line, you swat them too. I could deal with that. (laughs) And if you're a bear, your mate expects you to wake up growling. He expects that you'll have hairy legs and excess body fat. Yep, I'm going to be a bear. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, we're going to start again in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 26. It says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. And I want to spare you this. So he's saying that Everybody who gets married, there's going to be, there's going to be some difficulties. Um, and really what we're wanting to do today is we want to share some things with you that have helped us. Right? Uh, some people, it, 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 people with a great marriage, did not. it's not that they had no problems at all, but they learned how to resolve those problems. They learned how to submit to each other. And uh, it, it has to do with your heart, with your attitude, with your understanding, and, and with your skills. Um, we want to put some things in your toolbox that will help you resolve differences in your marriage. And we do want you to understand that um, although you can't just say, oh, you know what, this has to be a magically perfect person or we can't have a perfect marriage, um, <laughs> but that... When you start off with more things, some of the important things in life on same ground, you're going to have less issues to worry about. I just know that when we started out, we had quite a few uh, differences. We lived in a foreign country, but we were from the same country. So I assumed that my values would be the same as his values, but I didn't realize that my parents were Kansas farmers, and his were Dutch Michigan people, and that is a different world. <laughs> Those are different planets. And so, you know, some of the things that his family valued highly, um, my family valued some other things, and when you put the two together, um, you can't be offended that he doesn't value what you value. You know, so there's those certain things that 
Um, like my mom, I ask her, what big issues did you have to get over when you first got married? Because they had a wonderful marriage, and, and I thought, well, obviously, probably wasn't always wonderful. And, and she's like, you know, we really didn't have a lot of adjusting to do because we came from the same uh, kind of family, the same with the same jobs. They were farmers. They, they went to the same uh, church or kind of church, flavor of church. And so they had so much that was their goals. Everything was the same. And so they started off without a lot of that kind of changing and adjusting to do. And, and that's wonderful. Yeah. And being a part of a, a large family, your dad was one of 14 kids. Um, when you come from a larger family, you're used to sacrificing. You're used to compromising, right? And one of the huge things in almost every marriage is selfishness. And I may have mentioned before, when, when we got married, I thought I was really spiritual, right? And then I got married and I thought I backslid. I'm serious. And, and I went to the Lord and I said, God, I'm, so, I'm, I'm backslid, you know, I feel so far from you with what's happening. And, and God said to me, he said, well, you didn't backslide. He said, you were a mess the whole time. You just didn't know it. <laughs> Because, see, when, you, when you're single, you do what you want, when you want, with whom you want. You know, everything is just about you. And then you get married, and it's like, lay down your life. It's sacrifice. And uh, self just does not like that. Okay, so Ephesians 5, verse 21, and it's talking, the, 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 the overall subject here is marriage, and it is talking to both husbands and wives, and it says, submit to one another, in the fear of God. And where we wanted to start today is in 1 Peter 3, 7, which says, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Now, it's literally saying to men, men, you need to understand your wife. Right? Because <laughs> men and women come from different worlds. Right? They value different things. So somebody said, well, there's two ways to understand a woman, and no one knows either one. <laughs> but dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And that's just talking about physically, all right, weaker, as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So... We wanted to take and talk a little bit about how does a man live with his wife with understanding? What, what is it we're supposed to understand about our wife that's different than us? Which is pretty much everything. <laughs> so, but, but to get there, I want to talk to you men because uh, you, you understand your, your own personal needs or biases, right? Uh, a man's number one need, right? is honor or respect. In fact, the Bible says to the wife, see to it that the wife honors or respects her husband. Right? Because men gravitate to the place where they're honored. If a man gets the most honor at work, he will become an alcoholic. If he gets the most honor with his friends doing sports, he is just going to want to be there all the time. Right? If he gets the most honor at home, that's where he's going to be. Right? A man gravitates to that place where he's honored. In fact, anytime you talk to a man, girls, if, if behind it he hears, man, I honor you, I respect you, 
If he hears that behind what you're saying, his heart will just open up, right? But if he hears disrespect and dishonor, it closes his heart. It's not that he tries to. It's just the way that God made him. Um, when our kids were growing up, we had three boys and then a girl. And as the boys were getting older, Jeannie kind of got frustrated. And, and she says, I just don't get it. Well, when they come and say, quit treating me like a little kid. I'm like, well, quit acting like a little kid. <laughs> and so I said to Jeannie, I said, here's what, she, here's what, what you, you should understand, is that those little boys are little men. And what they want, they don't want you to tell them, do this and then do it like this and like this and like this and like this and like this. What they want to do is they want to solve the problem. And they want to be your little hero. So you just tell them what to do and let them do it however they want to do it. And then when they get done, you just tell them, wow, that was awesome. And so she did it. And they're like, that's that's the (laughs) man around here. Right? They're, they're looking for honor. They, did, they felt disrespected when she said, and do it like this, and like this, and like this, and like this, and like this. And, oh, you didn't do it exactly the way that I told you. Right? So a man gravitates to the place where he's honored. Did you want to yeah. say something about, about honor? I do. I, because this is really, it's easy to hear this. Okay, I'll honor my husband. But then when we, when it really come, when we go in the door, we go home, and we look at the man, we think, yeah, I'll honor him when he's honorable. Um, and, and women ask me this all the time. Well, how do I honor him? He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He do, you know, where, where can I start? And um, I just kind of did a study, and this is just a brief um, out of my, what I was learning about honoring your husband and how to honor it. And I thought, that's really a good question. When they're, when they, they're, very honorable in doing things. It just seems like it's really e- easy. And so how do we do this? Well, first, here's some things that we need to understand. That um, first, God is the one who honors. And so it's not just something he requests and asks of us. In Psalm 91, it says, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. And he's talking about a man who, has a, who, who wants and has a relationship with him, who's connected and, and, and uh, with him. God says, I'll honor him. And then um, in Proverbs, it talks about how uh, when a man receives a man or woman, when you receive correction, that you receive honor, that honor comes to those who receive correction. Well, if you did everything perfect, you wouldn't need corrected. <laughs> so obviously they were making some mistakes and, and because they heeded correction, that was one of the ways that, um, that you can honor them is when they get back up, when they fall, when they, when they um, receive correction. Um, I want to say some things about honor. Dishonor, being shown to you, does not determine your character. So don't base your success in life on whether or not enough people, your spouse, shows you honor. Many did not honor Christ, and it didn't turn him into a jerk. 
So if you're not getting the honor you want in your relationship, you can't take what Dwayne said about how important it's one of your first important needs. So if you don't get it, you can just be as big a jerk as you want. Because no, there's no excuse for that. Someone honoring you is not going to make you the person you ought to be in the first place. Honor will not make a preacher anointed, a husband successful, or a woman virtuous, but honor opens our hearts up to give and receive the best from others. And so the more I honor my husband, the more I am able to receive from him. When you honor honor the ministry of your husband, you place a demand on that anointing that's on that calling. And then um, I, the, here's a few things. Dishonor hinders. Honor welcomes and invites. Honor acknowledges their efforts. It inspires improvements. Dishonor will feed dissatisfaction, complaints, resentments, nagging. It will divide and separate and disconnect. And when you see that, none of those are things that you want so get the dishonor out of your heart, out of your thoughts, out of your, you know, if you're meditating on all the things that you, your husband's doing wrong or your wife or your kids, if you're meditating on how you're irritated you are, um, whatever you're full of, when you're bumped a little bit, it's going to come oozing out. And so if you're full of dishonor and disrespect and unthankfulness and, and nitpicking and whatever in your heart and, um, he, he, he doesn't do something right or, or nudges you just a bit, it's going to come, come all out there. And so if you want to show him honor, you're going to practice starting in your heart with valuing his opinion, trusting his judgment, building him up with words, not putting him down, appreciating him, speaking good to others about him, speaking good um, to God. I think that was one of the huge big things that he started in my life when, when I actually was complaining to God about my husband and, and God um, reproved me, corrected me, and said that that was not praying, that was complaining, and he doesn't listen to that, and, and, and it was no good. But he says, if you can see in him what I want to, what I am working in him, and, and thank me for those things, and pray those things that I'm working in him. That's the way I could surround him and help him and protect him and love him and honor him and adore him and give him time to preach. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the man really gravitates to that place of honor. In fact, the Bible says for the wife to honor the husband. And again, like Janie said, well, what if he's not honorable? But what if he's doing some unhonorable things, right? You honor the position, right? Um, you, you, there might be a person in politics who's doing some things that you're not happy with, right? But you know what? You still pray for them, and you honor the position that they're in, right? uh, We can say it like this. A man doesn't love his wife when his wife is perfect, right? How many know a man loves his wife when she's imperfect? It's not, well, I, I'm going to love you when you clean the house, I'm going to love you when you lose 30 pounds. I'm going to love you when you do this. I mean, no, it's not when, it's you love your wife. Nobody. <laughs> Come on. 
And the same thing is true with honor. You don't love your wife when everything is perfect, right? You love your wife in spite of, right? And the same thing is true when it comes to honor. Now, we want to talk a minute about man's second need. Well, before we leave this one, we we really, we got to go faster. We've got to. Okay. But you need to resist the spirit of dishonor and disrespect that's in our culture that's being pumped out and infused the dishonor for men, the dishonor for our presidents, our governor, just dishonor for leaders, dishonor for pastors. Um, it's kind of a disease that will eat you up and infect you and infect your relationships if you let it. But we need to repel that and not, not go there. Okay, go ahead. Okay, very good. Uh, second need that men have in marriage. And you want me to say it. I do. It's the need for physical connection from your attraction to your spouse. <laughs> it's sex. <laughs> I thought okay. I'd rename it, surprising something, but I okay. couldn't quite think of it. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a big need, and I've got to share just something that really helped me um, in that area of our relationship was when... I finally realized and appreciated the fact that he isn't just wanting it, but that he wants and needs me. That um, and and that is a, as a it's a perspective that the world won't give you and have um, when when um, you have sex outside of marriage, it's probably likely all about it because you're not committed to each other. You're not promising to support and help and, and be there for each other. You're just like, let's go have an experience, an event. Well, sex is not, it's a, it's a commitment. It's a, um, I had the word for it and I just lost it. But anyway, but it's not just an event. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so when you see yourself as, like it says in, um, oh, and I had it here, 1 Corinthians 7 that he read, that we give to each other. He gives to me, I give to him. It says the husband should give to his wife, her conjugal wife's rights, likewise the wife to her husband. It's not just someone taking from the other one what that person needs. It's listed in here as his need. And, but she has the very same need, but you just go about it differently. <laughs> and, but they give to each other. And that's really essential that we remember that. So we just talked about what the man needs. Now we said that because the Bible says that men should understand their wife and live with them according to knowledge. Right? So the, the woman top need, number one, non-sexual affection. Number two, conversation. You've got to know that, that non-sexual affection, a part of that is chocolate. Of course. <laughs> Multiple kinds. <laughs> White chocolate, dark chocolate, milk chocolate, yeah, all the chocolates. And I think it's so funny that, that a man actually wrote this list. So I have to clarify when they, he said non-sexual affection. That's really sexual. To a, a woman, how do you have sex without all that leads up to it? That's chocolate and attention and listening and, and 
the affection. And so how can you call affection yeah. anyway in a marriage? Okay. Okay. So I come into the in, into her house and and walk in and Jeannie's there in the kitchen and and she's cl- cleaning some stuff up and and I say how are you honey how was your day she really good I said what, what's wrong nothing what can I do what can I do nothing nothing what can what, what can what just hold me you know so I hold her right but here's the thing we tend to look at our spouse through our needs, all right? So she says, just hold me. You know what I think? I think I, think I know what she needs. She just doesn't know what she needs. <laughs> because I'm going, I'm, you see, naturally, we think that our spouse's needs are the same as our needs, but they're different, right? She needs that non-sexual affection, and she needs that conversation. Now, so this, this is kind of a, you didn't know I was going to do this. Okay. So, so like three weeks ago, right, Jeannie has a dream, right? <laughs> and in this dream, I'm in a meeting with some of the leaders of the church, and she comes in, all right? And, and I said to her, you need to leave. We don't want to know what you have to say. This is in her dream. In, in the dream, I mean, he was just the... He never, ever speaks to me like that. But in the dream, he is just yelling at me to get out, get away. We don't want to hear from you. Just, and I am like in the dream, like this. That was in the dream. And then, in reality, he reaches over and pulls me close. But I'm still in the dream that was so real to me. And I'm like... What? <laughs> you just told me to get away. <laughs> In fact, we got up and, and, and I said, what's wrong? What's wrong? She said, I had a dream. It was a real dream. It was real. It was real. I'm, listen, guys, I was in trouble for three days. <laughs> and it didn't even happen. It was just in her dream. <laughs> but it was not a good conversation in her dream. <laughs> it was a bad conversation in her dream. Now, Guys, you, you might say, well, you know, I'm just not a talker. My dad didn't talk. My granddad didn't talk. Um, you need to learn how to talk, right? Not just listen, but you need to learn how to talk. Now, studies, the, the, the numbers vary, but pretty much all studies say that women speak twice as much as men, right, in, in da- daily conversation. Uh, women are, are just more vocal. Even, even little girls, you know, they've got their doll and they're talking to the doll. Right. Here's what my grandsons do. They got a little toy, and it's just, you know, <laughs> they're just not great communicators, right? But it's just something that we need to learn to do. And actually, it's not just uh, listen to her. She wants to communicate. She's got all these words, and she needs to communicate. Nobody wants to just communicate with a wall. If we just wanted to talk, we could talk to the mirror. We could talk to the wall. But, mm-hmm. but we want to be heard and we and want understood. and understood. And we want to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, you know, it's both ways. And, and we realize that um, men and women vary. Sometimes there's a more talkative man and a less talkative woman. And, um, but it's a matter of having a two-way conversation where you are actually um, listening and paying attention to each other. In, in Proverbs 18, I want to talk to the singles for a moment. Proverbs 18, 22, it says, He who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Now, now notice this talking about finding. There's a process, 
Right? It's, it's, there, there's this process to finding that person. Now, somebody said, well, I just have to find my soulmate. That one person in all the world that God has for me. Now, I, I don't want to pop your bubble, but you need to listen. God does not have just one person for you. Right? If he did, right, and that person missed it and married the wrong person, then it would just set off this chain reaction, all right, where everybody would be missing it. But that is not true. This is what the, there is one type of person, right? Not one person, but one type of person. It says in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 39, right? And she is at liberty to marry to whom she wishes, but only in the Lord, right? She can marry whomsoever she wishes, but only in the Lord. So first of all, when they're saying there's a certain type of person, it needs to be a believer, right? As a believer, the Bible says, do not marry an unbeliever. And you say, why does the Bible say that? It says that because you're never going to have a spiritual union. The deepest union that you can have, right, in marriage is a spiritual union. And it is, it can't happen. And the Bible says it's like having fellowship, Christ and Satan, light and darkness. They can't have that spiritual union, right? So somebody said, well, I'm just going to win them to Jesus. Well, maybe you will, but there is no guarantee. In fact, 1 Corinthians 7 verse 16 says this, for how do you know, a wife, whether you will win or save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, if there was something that you could do that would guarantee that they would get saved, Paul would have said, just do this. He says, but you can do all the right things, and they harden their heart towards God, and they never come to the Lord. So it's not that, well, I'm just going to win them to the Lord. I'm going to do the right thing, and it's got to happen. Right? That's not true. But there is one type of person. Needs to be a saved person, somebody that has the same spiritual fervor and desire that you have. Right? That you want to go in life the same place they want to go in life. Right? And, and I hope that every one of us here that that our mission in life, right, is to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. But if you've got somebody else that you're married to and they have a different purpose for their life, right? There's not going to be that union that, that should be there. So we just wanted to say, to, especially to all of the single women, yeah, just wait. You know, don't be in a hurry to marry the first guy that shows up, right? But I, I would say that there, there's a, a woman in the Bible named Ruth, and she just gives us a beautiful picture of what to do. She literally, she waits for the right guy. Right? And this right guy happens to be a guy by the name of Boaz. And you say, well, what made him right? Well, first of all, they're worshiping the same God, and they had the same goal for their life. Right? Secondly, he had a job. <laughs> right? He could take care of her. Right? But what she, and he treated her right. right? So, so don't be in a hurry. Wait for your Boaz. And don't settle for any of his relatives. Like broke ass, lying ass, cheating ass, dumb ass, drunk ass, cheap ass, good for nothing ass, and definitely do not settle for.
for the third cousin beating your ass. (laughs) You wait. You wait for your Boaz. God has a great man for you. But don't settle. Don't settle for less than somebody that loves God, has the same passion for God that you do, and is going with their life. Their life goal is the same as your life goal. Man. All right. Do you want to say something else yet? Well, <laughs> I had my little list um, from Proverbs 5, and you can check it out. Uh, but he, he gives a clear thing. He's teaching his son, but it applies to girls um, to measure the one that they're interested in, um, whether they'd be a good spouse. And he, he goes, um, I want you to listen to my, and gain understanding and discretion and knowledge. He says, for the lips of a forbidden woman or man, drip honey, speech smoother than soil, but in the end she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. And so just to, okay, what does she talk like? What does she talk about like? Um, is, is she or he talking wonderful to their, respectful to mom and dad, and then turn around and and um, just say horrible things about them. You know, do, does she cut with the sword with her, her yeah. lips, her, her, her tongue? Is she bad-mouthing other people? And then it says, her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path to Sheol. And that's huge. If um, someone is on the right path only because they're with you, but if they were left to their own and had the choice of what to do and where to go, they would go more to the world than to the Word of God. They would, you know, you can tell where their feet are How, yeah. headed. How do they influence your life? Do they influence your life to pursue God with more fervor, or do they bring compromise into your life? Do they lead you away from the Lord? You need somebody that's going to yeah. encourage you in your spiritual walk. And then the last one that it mentions in verse 6 is that she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And just that, you know, when you can see in somebody making decisions as a young people, they don't always have good foresight. But if you see someone um, who has the good sense of, you know what? I better not do this because I don't want those consequences. Someone who can see, foresee the consequences, have discernment. That's wisdom. That's that's the ones to go after. Well, let's bow our heads for just a moment. You know, I was brought up in church. But in spite of the fact I was brought up in church, I did not understand Christianity. What, What I thought about Christianity, and again, I was 20 years old at this time. I thought that being a Christian meant don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, and do this, and do this. I really looked at Christianity as a bunch of do's and a bunch of don'ts. Obey this and and don't do this. But the Bible says this in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. It says, no one has ever been made right with God by obeying God the law or rules. See, Christianity is not don't do this and don't do this and don't do this and do this. But so many people, that's how they base their relationship. That's what they think Christianity is. They think they're Christians. But the Bible says no one has ever been made right with God by obeying the law, by obeying certain rules. In fact, it's not rules. It says the just shall live by faith. You say, what does that mean? 
even mean. This is what it means. That you don't put your trust, your faith, your confidence in the things that you do and don't do. You put your faith and your confidence in what Jesus did for you. See, Jesus lived a sinless life and he went to the cross and he shed his blood and he died and he paid for your sins. So he, he owed, well, you owed a debt you couldn't pay. And so he paid that debt for you. And his blood paid for your sin. So what, what Christianity really is, is this, it's receiving Jesus and what he's done for you. That's why the Bible says in John chapter 1, to as many as receive him, Jesus, to them he gives the right to be the children of God. You say, how do you receive him? You say, Jesus, I believe that you went to the cross for me and you paid for my sin. And I give you my life and my heart. Jesus said, you must be born again. And that's what he's saying. You need to give him all of your heart and all of your life. Now, today, I I know right here and, and many of you online, you thought the same thing I did. Christianity was about not doing some things. It was about rules. But it's not about rules. It's about Jesus. There is salvation in no other name than the name of Jesus. It's receiving him and giving him your heart and life. So we're going to pray a prayer right now. And if you're not right with God, you're away from God, if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen, you're going to be right with God. So I'm going to invite everybody to pray this prayer out loud from your heart. Just say, oh God, I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe that he rose again. Victorious over death, sin, and the devil. I receive Jesus as my Lord, my King, the sacrifice for my sin. I give him all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I'm going to live for Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that you have heard my prayer, that my past is gone, that I'm forgiven, and that I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org. Follow us on social media or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day and we will see you again soon.